welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, go to PCAPaintEd.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all you non-members out there, sign up for our free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the Apple Store and Google Play. In today's podcast, we feature an episode from Ask a Painter Live with Nick Slavic. In this episode, Nick shares his go-to interior brushes and roller for wall painting, as well as his SOP for application. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Ask a Painter Live. It is a beautiful, beautiful Saturday morning here in Minnesota. It finally feels like spring or summer, uh, even though it's probably going to be in the 50s, whatever. It's bright outside. The birds are singing. We're going to take it. So um, we are here in the Slavic shop. Uh, we are within the Slavic shop in the test bedroom. This is a scale replica of a 15 by 15 foot bedroom. Obviously it looks like I'm in a house, but we are in a cool little training thing in our shop. We have a big show today. Uh, it's sort of a mastering the micro basics today. Um, first off though, uh, we're gonna talk about my favorite brushes, rollers, and then we're gonna get into that micro basic stuff, which is how exactly do you cut? What is the process of getting the paint from the bucket to the wall, there is, I mean, listen, you can imagine I've done this hundreds of thousands of times in my life. I have thoughts, I've tried everything, and I've just found a slick little way over the years where you can turn yourself into robot movements. You could be able to turn your brain off and produce super high-end work like that. So uh, first off, we're gonna talk about some other stuff that's going on, which is uh, the PCA, the Painting Contractors Association. After kind of a two-year hiatus of doing a whole bunch of in-person, large-scale events, we are back, baby. And uh, there's a link in this show to a whole bunch of events. Now, the first big one of the year to kick it off is a summer event here in Minneapolis called PBN, Paint by Numbers. You guys know and love him. Jason Paris and all his Olive Holdings guys are going to be putting on a monster event. I'll be there with a master's class. And together, we are going to present one of the most robust micro two-day build your business business accelerator events here in minneapolis now we're probably about a month away from that so get on that it is going to be awesome they're going to you're going to see a whole bunch of um people you know and love from the industry here and it is going to be absolutely awesome so um two years ago was the last time we did one of these pbn events and i brought my entire team to it and when i left even for me it was one of the most robust in-depth sort of like state of the industry, learning from the best and the brightest, and uh, this one will not disappoint either. So also what we're going to do at the end of this show here, we're going to go through uh, some very, very micro painting uh, techniques, but we're also going to answer any questions you guys like. And I already see, uh, I already see uh, people asking questions here. Uh, so we'll get to that soon. Also, there is the Ask a Painter Live Summer Retreat. If you get on Facebook and you search for Ask a Painter Live Retreat, I am accepting applications for our retreat. Now, this is sort of a weird thought uh, experimenty thing where we gather up a bunch of people, go into a luxury uh, retreat lodge in the Northwoods. We're on a lake. We got sauna, tennis court, hot tub. Um, uh, we're gonna have boats. We're gonna have a private chef and everything else. And we are gonna solve problems uh, that are actually occurring in our businesses. Uh, sometimes they're personal, sometimes they're professional, but you have a think tank of some of the brightest minds in the industry doing it with you. So it's going to be absolutely awesome. Uh, let's see, what else? 
Oh yeah, uh, coming this fall, uh, the PCA is launching a business accelerator. It's uh, Jason Paris and my pet project. And uh, it's basically, you know, like uh, PCA has great uh, health insurance. We have standards, we have painter training, robust, robust training, with learning management systems. We want to round out the offerings of the PCA by offering a business accelerator, which is just like how we have the videos to train our painters. We have a series of videos and a learning management system to train the business owners. And it's going to be absolutely awesome. So, all right, everybody, we're going to get into mastering the micro basics today. We have to thank our friends at Purdy. Purdy underwrites this show. Um, and I just so happen to be a long time, more than a decade user of all the Purdy products. I've tried everything and we've incorporated them in our business. And uh, again, one of my favorite things to do, they're like, okay, Nick, let's go through the catalog. Just tell people exactly what you use. And uh, if you go in my supply room, which is 20 feet over that way, you will see a wall of Purdy because that's what we use for our company. And uh, I think you'll be supplied, surprised at the simplicity in which we work with this stuff here. So, all right. So, Here's what we, uh, I'm already seeing questions here. I do have to get to the, uh, the interior wall stuff like this. We will get to this. I promise you, hold tight. I'm going to keep this about to 15 to 20 minutes of mastering the micro basics, doing some painting, which I know and love. And then we're going to get to all your questions. So start rattling them off. I'll go back to the top of the feed and I'll start knocking them out. I'm already seeing awesome questions about uh, rain days, exterior work. I got some deep thoughts on this stuff. So let's talk about mastering the micro basics of interior painting. The basics, the bread and butter of what we do. When we have people in here, our apprentices training, we train them on wall painting and prep and cabinet and trim prep. We don't even really train them, um, uh, you know, specifically on the painting of that stuff because they get plenty out of uh, that experience in the field. So we go hardcore in this room. This room has probably been painted 1,100 times, give or take. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we when people leave this facility, we want them to be able to paint a bedroom in two weeks. So. The basics of that, pretty cut pail like this, and my go-to, the Purdy Alasco, two and a half inch straight cut. It's got a nice long handle, which allows you to kind of get up there, uh, especially when you're in stairwells and things like that. It gives you an extra eight inches of reach, give or take, so you can get a little farther cutting. So that's the basis of the kind of cut portion of it here. Um, for rolling, Purdy poles, obviously. Uh, this stuff will save your back, save your knees, save your neck, save your shoulders. Uh, instead of, you know, typically going, you know, with, um, you know, the roller in your hand like this, you don't have a lot of leverage like that. So what you can do is put it on the pole and then you have leverage. So you can go floor to ceiling just like this. And you, sometimes you don't even have to bend over like that. Uh, you can apply a lot more even pressure and uh, yeah, save all your body like that. And it is more efficient and faster. So I'm a big fan of that. That right here. Ah, dual roll-off buckets. So these things are super efficient, and what I like about them too is that there are two sides to them, so you can roll off from either end. Uh, so you can set this guy in the middle of the room. So if you have a bedroom like this, you can set it in the middle, and you can basically rotate around it. And when you're rolling, you can roll from this side, and you don't need to turn the bucket around when you come from the other side. You can just roll off again here. It's got grids on either side going into it, which is pretty cool. I like that. So otherwise, it's a it's a it's a unicide thing, and uh, liners too. These things, um, you know, uh, they slip in, and uh, you can take them out. Uh, we've even had times where you know, obviously the buckets are nice plastic, and when the paint dries out, you can peel it off like that. But sometimes this is a lot faster when you're uh, switching colors, things like that. We've even had people peel paint out of these; they come off pretty easy. So it's nice to have that liner in case you have one bucket and want to do multiple colors in a day. 
There's also smaller versions too. So there is smaller trays. If you don't need a big, deep thing that holds a, you know, four gallons of paint, give or take, there are trays like this. And then there's also liners for these two. So these guys in here. And what's pretty cool is that uh, both the big bucket, the, the, the dual roll off, and this guy, they both have pour spouts on them, which is pretty cool. So again, when you're when you're done at the end of the day and you pour the paint off like that, it's got a nice little spout on the end of it. Now, basics of rolling. We've tried everything. There's lots of good stuff out there. Um, we're a white dove company, and we love white dove half inch. We found that you know anything thinner, uh, it may give a little less stipple, but it doesn't. You can't take the paint as far. You get into the three quarter and larger, and it'll get a. You can certainly take the paint farther. You can roll more wall, but it does give it a little more stipple. So we found that a really happy medium is you know the tried and true the. Uh, the white dove half inch. So um, what I look for in a roller cover um, is not price. <laughs> I don't care because sundries and uh, you know things like this, tape, roller covers, and brushes. Um, in the in the in the percentage of revenue that you do in your business, they're almost a rounding error. So we just go by the best. Uh, we make sure that they perform perfectly, and then we never worry about it again. What I look for in a, in a roller cover is not price, like I said, readily available. We need a big supply of them. Uh, also, they come in three packs, which is a, a discounted version there, which helps. Uh, and also, I don't want them to shed because you can do all the all the stuff right. You can buy premium paint. You can paint it in the perfect way. But if you leave little fuzzy things all over your wall, it's a bad thing. People always say, well, you got to wrap these with tape. You got to pull the tape off, get the fuzzies off. We take these suckers right out of the package, put them on the wall, no fuzz on the wall. And that's something that I care deeply about. And when you go buy, you know, 50 cent dollar roller covers, uh, no name roller covers, you will cover your walls with little hairs, little fuzz, things like that. So these are our go-to. Also, obviously we've got the 18 inch or two. So I'm gonna demonstrate both. And as you would imagine, I have an SOP for all this stuff about how we, uh, how we actually roll uh, in a bucket, how we actually put paint on a wall. So I thought I would show you simple, basics, micro basics of that. Because we've gone through the wall SOP. I've kind of shown you the entire process. I actually painted a wall, uh, excuse me, this room in an hour and a half last time. So now we're gonna talk about a little bit of the micro basics. How do you actually cut? How do you actually roll? So first off though, we are gonna prep this wall. So we have our fake window behind us. Again, fake bedroom right here. This is in our Slavic shop. This is our uh, test room here. It's a 15 by 15 exact replica of what would be kind of like a master bedroom like that. And so we're going to tape it. Prep pouch here. My standard operating procedure is to have um, a cleaning brush like this. And this is a purdy from probably about 10 years ago. Uh, once it ended its life, once it ended its life, I cut the handle off and now we have this beautiful brush. And I've been using this for probably five years, give or take. Uh, purdy folding tool. Uh, that's going to be what we press the tape down with. And then uh, rug tape the commercial frog tape. So whenever I start a room like this, typically we'll pick a corner and we'll go clockwise around. When I'm on a wall like this, I always do, uh, I always prep the stuff that's not attached because once you get going on baseboard, it's easy to just continue on like that and sometimes not put your head up and, uh, and do the window. So typically what I would do is window and then baseboard like this. So what we do is I'm a big fan of ripping off a section of tape. I kind of don't like, you know, rolling a roll around like that. It doesn't give you as much control. So typically what I do, and I usually hold my uh, tape either in a uh, tape hook on my pouch or in my mouth, obviously. I'm not gonna do that now so I can talk. What you do is you tack one end, and then uh, with your hand, you have uh, 
little hand to press the tape down, but then you have a rudder hand like this where you can steer the tape because as we know, no trim, no walls are perfectly square. So well, basically I'm moving, I'm using my hand to tack it down as we go and I'm using my rudder hand to do little micro adjustments. And then when we come to the top, I like to curl it over and then kind of Christmas present to package it like that. When we get to the bottom, I use the corner of that trim as a straight edge and just rip it off like that because I don't want a bunch of extra there. Now, what you want to do is, come on with me. Folding tool, we take the large end like this, hold it at a 45 degree angle and press that edge of that tape down just like that to make final contact. Um, frog tape does have the chemical on the outside that will stop the paint, but you gotta make sure that that edge is sealed really well. And from 30 years of painting, you can imagine I got some nice calluses and things like this, so my fingers are kind of big and they don't necessarily get into a perfect um, 90 degree angle like that. So that's where the pretty folding tool comes in like that. So we got one edge of it here. Now, another thing is too, people have a tendency to like press the tape down like this. You're not wrong, but when you go to take it off, Sometimes you have to pick at it like this, sometimes it'll rip, and then you're pulling like this. I like to just leave it at a 45 degree angle so the tape is not attached there. So when you take it off, it'll come off a lot easier and a lot quicker. So same thing, I'm just gonna go through the entire process on this one. don't like tape they think you're a hack if you use tape uh, pros and master crafts people do use tape and it doesn't take that long it only takes about 10 or 15 minutes to mask out an entire bedroom like this and uh, you will be hard-pressed uh, to get perfect cut lines doing it by hand uh, and you'll also get roller splatter on that stuff so we are a prepping company we love doing all the work like this because it also makes it easier for apprentices uh, to do this type of work um, hand cutting corners baseboard and all this other stuff Maybe a good skill, we can certainly do that, but I would argue that this is always better and always quicker. So now we're gonna take baseboard like this and we're gonna run it around here. I'm gonna start here, I'm right-handed, so typically I would start on the right and I would actually go counterclockwise uh, in a room like that. That's just the way that I found most comfortable. So when we do baseboards like this, first we wipe off the baseboard. And what I do, I wipe off as far as I can and I set the brush down exactly where I stopped from my paint to wipe off the next piece of baseboard. And again, we tack one end down and we use our rubber hand to manipulate the tape. And I do like ripping the tape off. So I tack it down like that. And then pretty to do that, I shuffle down, wipe off another set of baseboard. And because I'm to the end, I'm gonna put the brush back in the pouch Rip off a piece of about four feet and tack down. And I'm tacking down with my hand as my rudder hand moves the tape. And I'm leaving the tape out at a 90 degree angle from the baseboard. You can press it down like that, but then the problem is if you do get a drip, sometimes it even hits the front of the baseboard uh, and then would go onto the carpet. I like to keep it out because that gives you about an inch, inch and a half of a space where if you do drop, it will hit the tape. All right, coming into the corner, 
tack hand, rudder hand. Now, when we get to the corner like this, I know we're gonna be a little far away, but this isn't a prepping shelf, but I'm gonna just give you a quick micro tip here. Uh, again, my hands are too big to fit into the corner, uh, so what I do is I press my painter's tool up against the corner and rip the tape, it rips at a perfectly 90 degree angle. Up here, just like that. Perfect 90 degree angle, and then because you have another 90 degree angle, you can set that tape down right on the next wall. Tape hand, rudder hand, pressing it down. All right, last bit of tape, and then we're gonna get to painting. start talking about cutting. <clears throat> so, as you can imagine, I've done this motion probably a few hundred thousand times in my life. Uh, and also, we're going to do some cutting and some rolling. Put all your questions up here, and I'm going to scroll through back to the front, and we can do any question, any topic you want there. This is exactly how I cut. And yes, there's other ways to do it. There might be faster, there might be better, but uh, you know, I can paint this entire room in an hour and a half. This is the way that I do it consistently. I can do this forever and ever and ever. So you have your cut bucket. You can use a, uh, a gallon can. You can use the purdy pail, things like that. Typically what I do is I am, a, I am a wiper and not a slapper. So I dip my brush in and I wipe one side like this, leaving me about an inch, somewhere between a half inch and an inch of paint on one side. I flip it towards the wall and then I start cutting. I know that most of the industry and a lot of other people will do this and they'll do one of these like this, I would argue that this motion to the wall is quicker than this. And if you have to do that 821 times in a day, three uh, times three more seconds per one, I would argue it's a, it's a good time saver. Uh, also, it can get a little bit messy when you start slapping around like that. You have paint on both sides of the brush, and when you go to cut a ceiling, you could have paint dripping down the other side. So, and I've never, so some might say, well, you only have paint on one side of the brush, not the other, you're not gonna go as far. Honestly, that amount of paint will get you about as far as you can cut one way to another like that. So for me, all of the other stuff is just a little bit extra. This is getting into the micro weeds, uh, the, the stuff like that. But I have some distinct uh, opinions about it and that's how we train our people here. Same thing with baseboards too, dip, wipe, take it to the wall, just like that. Um, so yeah, we'll pour off some paint and then we'll go through the, um, the rolling process as well too. So uh, even when we pour paint, we have cut bucket, we have to do a roll off. So there's even a method for pouring paint like this. Uh, label towards me, and when we pour, we pour from the back of the bucket so we don't cover the label with paint. We tip it over like this, brush in hand. All right, a little bit of paint. Tip it off, let it drip, and then boom, put the bucket back like that to catch the drips, and then wipe immediately. And then same thing with the cut bucket. A little bit of paint in there, tip it up, boom, wipe. And that way you're not gonna drip. There's a lot of people who don't wipe the edge of the bucket, and then it'll drip all over the floor, drop off, things like that. 
with you some pretty teal paint today. So I'm going to move this guy right here. Just get some paint on that brush to start warming it up. Okay, so typically when we start cutting a room, uh, we start in a corner, we go up, over, down, and around here. Obviously, we're going to only be doing a small section here. So what I'm going to do is actually start at the, at the ceiling cut line on this wall. I'll do the baseboard cut uh, after we come down with the corner, and then we'll do this wall completely like I would follow an SOP. So what you'll see here is there will be a dip, there will be a wipe, you turn it to the wall and cut. So here is, here is the micro SOP. This is where it comes into contact here. I'm gonna just show you like, okay, so we've been painting this wall. We brought it to right here. So we just moved the ladder. We're moving over here. We dip, wipe, bring it to the wall. And what I don't do is start right here. I do come out about eight or 10 inches and what I will do is push the paint back into here. I'll push it back out and then I'll fill in a brush stroke underneath. This will allow the paint to be evenly dispersed throughout the wall here. If you start here, you're gonna have way more paint in this end than when you cut back over here. So what I like to do, just like when I roll, is put, put a, a large portion of the paint here, move it this way, come back through it, grab it, and that'll give you an even line. So in real time, here's what we do. Wipe, move, I cut my ceiling line, Come back, grab that paint, keep cutting with the ceiling line, brush is getting dry, and then I come back and fill in underneath in one last little stroke like this. Wipe, dip towards the wall, eight inches out, move back towards the last cut, move out towards the corner, fill in underneath. And we come down in the corner like this. Again, we're coming down, we're pushing the paint up like this. And I'm making sure to go around the corner and touch the other wall too. You want a nice overlap. I move my ladder. I come down into the corner here. Again, not starting exactly where you left off, but moving the paint back in there, little final stroke, dip, wipe, coming out onto the baseboard, and this is the easier one. There's not a lot of great cut technique. It's more of just get it on there. Um, the best thing I can tell you though, is that you know when you have tape, use it. There should be a nice overlap onto the tape, about a quarter inch. That lets you know that you got all the way to the baseboard, and you're ready to go. Okay, so we'll do a little bit of rolling. On this wall here, I'm gonna show you the nine inch roller, and then we'll switch to the 18 for the big one here. So. We got our white dove, and as you guys know, it'll take a couple dips to get this guy warmed up. And by our SOP, we do one wall at a time. We cut one, we roll one. And I'll actually show you guys the technique here. So when we, when we roll like this, uh, I like to roll, use the grid on the actual bucket, roll down, kiss the paint in the bucket, flip it out, and then roll it back up. If you just jam it down into the bucket and pull it back up, the roller will go into the paint, out of the paint, into the paint, out of the paint. When you come down and kiss the paint and move it like that, you're coming down, getting paint, and then moving the roller cover so that the next time you kiss it, it the paint will touch the other side of the roller. Otherwise, you're just gonna keep 
rotating that roller into the bucket again. So we're kissing, moving, kissing, moving, using the grid to even it out. And the goal for me, the standard operating procedure for rolling, when this guy has a couple, you know, uh, uh, dips and everything into it, and we and we get a little farther into it, my goal when this thing is full of paint is to do three roller widths from top to bottom. That's kind of the, the standard procedure. When we come up and bring this paint to the wall, I, again, I don't leave off right where we started again. I'm going to move this ladder so you guys can see a little better. We don't, we don't go exactly where we leave off like this. We come roll, one roller width over and we kind of leave a stripe of paint down here like this. We come back up and then all the way back down and go to the left and then come to the right. So that's really what we do. Uh, typically in this room, I've only prepped as far as this. That switch plate is not getting done. I've only taken the two switch plates off here, but that uh, that works very well. So same thing here in real time. I'm going to describe it as we do it. So we're dipping and kissing and rolling. Remember, we don't start here. We don't start here. We start about here, and we come down about a foot, give or take, because again. If you start here, you're going to leave a big glob of paint and you can't push it up any farther. So you're going to run into some problems with spreading that out. So we come one roller with over about a foot down, lay down our stripe of paint, come back up, beautiful coverage, and then come back through this way. Wonderful coverage on this step. And then without picking it up, you come back through like this. Beauty. Now, last thing you do, three finished strokes. One, two, three. Because we've been going like this in a W fashion, you can actually grain the paint and the light will catch it and you'll see some light refraction uh, of the paint like that. So that last finished stroke takes almost, uh, almost no extra effort and it'll even out all those for you. So last one here, because we only have about two widths, I'm not gonna load up as much paint as I did before. And this one, because we have one, two, I'm just gonna go right down the middle. You can see the roller pole, I'm barely bending over like this, saving your neck, saving your back, and you can apply more even pressure. Now, when you get into a corner like this, you can see the end of the aluminum uh, <coughs> pretty uh, roller frame is against the wall, and you might make the wall. So what I do in the corner is like this, put the open end, All right, finish stroke, finish stroke, that's one wall. And again, the goal of all this, you want super efficient tools. You wanna to work super fast. You wanna be very efficient with all your movements because one of the staples of professional painting is keeping a wet edge. If you want that professional, beautiful, low luster, even finish without any hat banding, without any picture framing, flashing of color or shine, You've got to keep that wet edge so this whole wall is still wet and it'll dry together. All right, we will leave that there. We'll pick up the cut brush again. And now, since we're starting a brand new wall over here, what I would do, the process of this is I like going up, over, down, and around again. So I'll start in this corner, we'll cut up, we'll cut over. I'll also be hitting this stuff as we go. And we're gonna end about here. And then we'll come back down, cut the bottom, cut the outlets, and then we'll roll again. And this time we'll use 
the 18. All right, going into the corner. I'm standing in the way of the camera. And all we're looking for is about a two and a half inch. The brush is two and a half inch. We're looking for a two and a half inch uh, cut line like that. Any more is excessive, any less, and you gotta be pretty precise with the roller. And because I'm right-handed, I put my right hand towards the wall. I typically do not face the ladder directly at the wall. So again, we put our paint there, dip into the corner. And one of the best things about these brushes is the bristles are stiff, but the ends are flagged, so they're super soft. So you don't need to apply a lot of pressure. I angle. So what you don't do is put the brush perpendicular with the ceiling like this. I keep the brush down like this, and then you press the bristles up into service, up in the corner there. And same thing. So here's the cut technique again. You dip. Oh, I got a little too much paint on that one. You dip. You come about eight inches out. Work it back into your paint. Work it back out. And then fill in. Same thing here, eight inches out, back in, coming out, fill in. So you can tell it's the same, same motion. When you can turn yourself into a robot like that, you can turn your brain off, you can be listening to podcasts, and you can produce consistent, beautiful results. And I'm using the ends of these flagged, uh, these, these flagged ends of the bristles to really get in there and let the bristles do the work, like that. And on little areas like this, to me, this isn't worth rolling, so we will brush like this. Uh, some people have a tendency when they get in these skinny areas to over apply paint with a roller, and then it'll start dripping. So I like to brush them off. Side of the window casing like that. Move again. Super efficient, no wasted movement. We wipe, we dip. Back in, back out as far as we can go, getting dry, coming back. Nice little finish stroke. Off the last step so you guys can see. You can see with good brush, super premium paint, you can paint a long way. Coming in. Push it out, filling in. And you're using your tape as a guide. You can move pretty dang quickly. So I'll do one more cut just to get to the end up here. Dip, wipe to the wall, back into the old stuff, up to the end. Going out. All right, ladder goes away. And then, assuming we would have cut this to the end of the corner, I would come down here, wipe, baseboard, and every time you pass an outlet, you stop and hit the outlet. People have a tendency to forget these. I like to cut between the outlet and the baseboard. Just to save on that rolling again. Cutting the base. Overlapping onto the tape to get that beautiful line. 
One cool little thing that you notice after a while is when you, if you lodge a whole bunch of paint down here, you can actually fill in little gaps on baseboards. Typically we do not prep. We do not mask tops and bottoms of windows. We just hand cut like this, just like we do a ceiling. Um, this line is usually not as exact as the side casing, either as the top. The top is usually full of dust and whatnot, so we get it close and nobody ever inspects those. It looks good. So we're continuing to cut baseboard. Moving on. Tip white to the wall, no wasted movements. Since we crossed an outlet, we're gonna stop and prep that. Paint that. A lot of little micro movements of the wrist allows those flag bristles to get into any little stipple, things like that. I prefer a lot of back and forth movement like that. Okay, cutting is done on this portion. Now we're gonna go to the 18. So we'll switch out. I will actually hang that one in the bucket here and we'll go to our big boy, our 18. 18 inch white dove right out of the package. Comes with the two ends. I'm put one of these in. The other little plastic plug right here. And we will adjust. Get that centered up. Now, what you do with 18s too is sometimes they start working a little bit and it'll loosen up a little bit. And I've seen this on all roller frames. Just make sure that every once in a while, if you see any play, just loosen up the little adjusters here and tighten it up. Okay. So same thing, we're rolling, we're kissing the bottom, and bringing it back up. And this is the first time that we're dipping this one in, so we're getting a, a little extra. All right, and same thing. So now we would still like to get three. So really we're at about two and a half, two and a quarter widths here. So I'm just gonna go straight down the middle. And this is the first dip, so we're a little short on paint. So we'll roll that up again. Usually about three dips on a new roller cover and you're set. So I'm gonna simulate that same stripe again. So we're gonna roll this way. And then we're gonna go back and pick up all that paint that we laid down. And we're gonna to come to the outlet. Finish strokes. Same thing. Now we have this little section under here, so I'm not going to load up as much paint as before. Just kiss it a few times. And because we're not even going to go one over, we're going to go right dab in the middle here and lay down our striper paint. And you can see I'm doing the underhand technique on the roller cover now. There's no need to stand here and, and do one of these things with your back. You can actually switch up how you hold the roller cover and actually come from an up to down position. Now we're going to go back, we're going to pick up that paint, and I'm going to go right to the outlet. That's a nice little stopping point right there. So same thing, I'm, I prefer top to bottom, 
finish strokes. All right, we'll do one more and finish it off, and then we're going to get to all those questions. We're on Instagram and Facebook right now. We'll get to all of your questions. All right. Same thing, we're going to go to the middle. Roll to the side. We'll get one more here. And you can modulate your pressure to the left and to the right like this. If you want to get closer to the window, I'm putting more pressure on this side of the roller cover like this. So it's kind of interesting how similarly the theory, the process is for cutting and for rolling too. You don't start exactly where you stop. You lay down your paint in the middle, you work it one way, you work it the next way for the nice even shine. Same robotic movements over and over and over again. Think about factory work like that. They get machines to do the same process over and over again. It's more efficient and more consistent. We do the same things here like that. So. This has been a little mastering the micro basics. We go deep on the actual specifics of cutting and rolling. This is my way here. I've developed it over 30 years. I can turn my brain off, listen to a podcast, and then just move on with my life. Produce consistent, great results. Bedroom, hour and a half to two hours, in and out, moving on. And that's a great thing. I can do that consistently for the rest of the time here and there. So let's go through Instagram. Holy cow. Thanks everybody for watching on Instagram here. <laughs> Ah, bum dia, all my friends down in Brazil. Thank you for watching. We're actually talking about our next Brazil trip later in the year here. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Might even be a bunch of soccer involved with it too, which would be super cool. All right. See what we got here. All right. Thanks, everybody. Lots of lots of good mornings. Lots of bum dias. Okay, let's go back to Facebook here. Holy cow, everybody. Good morning. We got Oscar, Frank, Phil. <laughs> Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate that. Jason Webb. Ah, here we go. Andrew Jacobs. Love this one. How do you determine if you should call off exterior work on a day because of scattered or bad rain? Uh, the theory for us, we're in the upper Midwest, uh, is typically go for it if it's 30 to 40% rain or less, typically. But we always have contingency plans. We save different parts of the house under porches, under decks, things like that, under soffits that we can get some work done, prep work, things like that. But also my project management and coordination crew, there's a, a team of three people who have a specific list of rain day jobs uh, that we can trigger on an eight to 12 hour notice like this. So if we need to call off, you know, if we got 25 people in the field and they need to be moved inside um, with a little bit of effort, we can call these people who have been notified that, hey, listen, on a moment's notice, we could call you. Do you want that thing there to get your project done? A lot of people say yes, and then, uh, yeah, we do that. So honestly, there's no, there's no way to do this. You just, uh, there's no app that'll do this for you. You need to just sit down and say, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Bookend it. If it doesn't rain, we're going to get a productive day. If it does rain, what are our two contingency plans? Do we move inside or do we have enough work on this site for that? And you just have to make the call. Um, there is no, I know that if you take an entire summer, we have very truncated summers. We only got five or six months of stuff, uh, exterior work here. If you generally approach <laughs> the weather as go for it, 
you will be better served over a longer period of time. Now, if it's 60 to 100% rain all day, obviously use some common sense and don't do that. But on a, if it's anywhere between 20 and 50%, watch the radar, have contingency plans. In an entire year, you will be better served by go for it. All right. MJB talking about the retreat. Sumter, good morning. Brian Adams, good morning to you. Brian Santos, good morning. It was great spending time with you and your decent human being. So uh, Brian and the leadership team from Fresh Coat Painting, the franchise, were, were here uh, Thursday and Friday, and we did a lot of great learning together. It was great. Ah, Frank, uh, do you run into problems with your paint uh, scabbing in those large buckets when you run your fans? No. So we we move fast enough where if you do an hour and a half to two hours in a room like this and you're constantly dipping in like that, it won't skin over. If you take lunch for an hour and leave it sit idle like that, it will skin over like that. So in the end, if you need to, these things come with uh, um, covers like that. Otherwise, just take a piece of painter's plastic, drape it over. And, and that's, you know, if you're going to have lunch, something like that. Holly. <laughs> Definitely showing my newbies this video. Thanks for your help as always. Question of the day. I know you use ScuffX on cabinet. What sprayer and tip do you use? Um, we use uh, any of the uh, Graco and Titan Aero sprayers. We're completely agnostic. All they are are pressure machines that get it out there. Uh, our favorite tips, my favorite tips are 308s, give or take a point, either HEA or FFLP. Um, but with apprentices, sometimes they don't clean up sprayers well enough. So sometimes you have to go to a 310. So typically what we do in my company is uh, 310 FFLP, 311 HEA, give or take. That's our kind of go-to like that. Three, 310s, 311s are some of the most versatile tips in the world. You can do fine finishes inside. Also, I've sprayed a ton of exteriors like that. Um, it does still give you a six inch fan pattern. So you can get a lot of production done, super low overspray with the HEA or the FFLP, which is awesome. So. Holly. Oh, Ronnie, my good friend. Bom dia. <laughs> One of the best jobs in the trades ever. The cherry on the cake. Love it, man. And Ronnie and I have been talking about getting together again this year here. So, oh, love this. Unnamed Facebook user. Why not an angle brush for cutting in? I like to two to three. Yes, everybody has their preferences. That's fine. Uh, 30 years ago, I was there was really no angled sash brushes uh, readily available. So I learned with straight cut brushes. I'm open to the idea that I am an old dog that won't learn a new trick. But I have in my Purdy backpack, half of my brushes are angled sash. And they're great. They're awesome. They're, they have the same quality as this. I keep gravitating to the flat for one big reason, which is they are universal. You can flip either side. It doesn't matter which side I'm holding. If I dip and wipe that side, I can flip it and go right to the ceiling. If I'm cutting in a corner and I dip with an angled brush, I have to think about, you know, if you have an angled end, I want that coming into the corner like this. So you got to angle there. So now you have to think about which side you dip and bring up so that your angled bristles are coming into a corner like that. Just my preference. It's one more thing you have to think about. Uh, but I know uh, they're called angled sash brushes for a reason because historically, my understanding is they were used for window sashes because you could get into those weird little corners and things like that. So I still love them. Half of my brushes in my pretty backpack are them. I still gravitate towards a flat cut because they're more universal like that. <laughs> I would cover the trays. Yes, if you move this fast, they will not skim over like that. Uh, and if you want to, just have a piece of plastic or a cover there. No big deal. <laughs> Kabir, thank you so much. I appreciate that. <laughs> Ronnie, appreciate it, man. 
Austin, we use four inch rollers to back roll our cuts in and stipple out the brush marks. I notice you don't do that. Do you feel back rolling cut-ins is an unneeded step? Um, you're not wrong if you do it. To me, it's unneeded. Um, I've never had a client complain when we do a wall project in 15 years of owning this company that the brush versus the roller is different. So um, with our paints, they even out pretty well. Uh, you can tell nice even shine on all this stuff. As a paint business owner, as a master craftsperson, as a leader, a mentor of young people getting into the trades, I don't have enough time to look for problems or add things to these processes that aren't needed or don't add value to the client. So what we do, if that was a problem, we would absolutely go back and do it. Some of the people that I look up to in the industry as the holders of the craft do this and they are not wrong and I appreciate them for it. But when we're inculcating these young people into the trades, I wanna cut all the fat off these things, no extra things. If it's not a problem, we don't make it a problem and we move on. So I do love the, I do love that sort of uh, thing there. So, all right. Do you, oh, Steven, how's it going? Do you ever roll walls first so paint can be drying and then come back and cut in? Uh, do you train to have brush and roll moistened before putting into the paint? Yeah, I mean, listen, it, once after the first dip, it's moistened and ready to go. I do not, I do not uh, roll first and then cut because then you might actually run into one of those things where your brushing your brushing is wider uh, than than what it normally would be. So I like to do my two and a half inch cut in around and then you can get within an inch of that corner and the walls and all the other stuff with the roller and that'll actually cover up some of those differences between stipple and brush marks and things like that. I never, the goal is wet edge. I always tell people to cut in first because you want most of that wall rolled like that. That would go against our SOP. That's not something we, we do normally. All right, we use uh, weenie rollers for cutting the quarters to make the difference between the ceiling. Yeah, exactly. A lot of people do this stuff. You're not wrong if you do. <laughs> oh, let's see what we got here. Holly, let's pull up your... I feel like getting a fake sky view painted in that window. Oh my, Holly, you are hilarious because we've actually thought about doing like a Bob Ross landscape scene uh, in that little fake window right there. So maybe we'll get somebody to uh, to do that for us. Uh, let's see. All right, so uh, somebody asked what paint we're using. Um, our go-to is Sherwin-Williams Duration Matte uh, for walls like that. Giuliano, ah, my friend. <laughs> Good to see you, man. Bonjour. Uh, we'll be seeing you soon later this year. Giuliano is one of the patron saints of painting in the world. And a uh, guy look, I, I look up to very good. So, uh, da, 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 da. Jen Fry. Oh, hey, how's it going? It's amazing how efficient routines, even in the small tasks, save so much time by the end of the day. It also makes the process so easily duplicatable. I agree. I agree. Ah, MJB. <laughs> uh, we use angled sash brushes for cutting in, found it's easier to get in the corners, just a personal preference. Absolutely. This is, this comes down to personal preference, a lot of this stuff. So I would never stand in front of you guys and say, this is the only tape, only wall paint, only tools, uh, only techniques that you should ever use. Lord knows, Purdy has a monster website. They have a catalog full of stuff. Find the things you like, but at some point you're going to get diminishing returns of both quality and speed. And I've never found an instance where... I've changed out my brush to something different and I've gotten more speed and more quality. So at some point you can still have fun and dance around. And I have almost everything from the Purdy catalog and I kind of like messing with them every once in a while just to make sure I'm not that old dog who, who is dying on his hill with that brush uh, and not experimenting with other stuff. But literally it's very hard uh, at some point to make an improvement on something that's really, really good. So typically when I cut a ceiling like this, 
see if I can find something to, oh yeah, right here, we got a piece of cardboard. So people love the angled sash and I agree. Uh, those are things that have not been around uh, forever. So they've, uh, you know, more readily available in recent years. So again, I'm open to the idea that I'm an old dog, but let's say we have a, a ceiling line up here. And so people say, well, hey, with the angle, it's easier to get in. I would argue this, see that? You now have an angled brush and that's how I cut my corners like this and things like that. I, I bend those bristles to, to put them up there, both, both in the way where you get the, uh, the bristles to go bump up into that line of like popcorn and knockdown like this, so your brush isn't rubbing up against the ceiling, but also like this, you, you give the twist like this, and those little flagged ends will cut a beautiful, beautiful razor sharp line right at the top like that. So that's how I do it. That's my preference. I kind of make an angle sash out of it like that, if, if I'm being honest. So Sumter. How can you, uh, can you talk briefly about when you schedule time for training and training return on investment, uh, especially ROI if you use overtime for training? All right, so here's the deal. Um, we just did uh, a, a semi-company-wide training yesterday where we pulled in uh, most of the people who would be doing exterior work. And in an hour and a half, we went over the standard operating procedures, had an open discussion about, hey, you guys kind of know how it works here, but let's just remember the micro parts of this. Let's walk through the process in our heads have any questions, and then we ready break and go out there. And that's built on um, many, many years of me teaching these people. They're out in the field already. They know what they're doing, and we kind of do a refresh. ROI on training, almost no painting company in the United States has an R&D budget. R&D is research and development. How we approach hiring people and training is I'm going to hire you, and from day one, if you don't produce masterful results very quickly, I'm going to be pissed off and look at you as a lesser. So we, I know this isn't you, Sumter. I'm talking about uh, generally us and the trades as a, as a whole. What we need to do is say research and development. The development part is huge. How much money and how much time are we setting aside on the calendar every year intentionally to develop and train our people? When we go through a recruiting process, it takes about 80 hours of my time. It's about a two-week process from when we put an ad out to phone interviews, in-person interviews, and hire. So again, that's 80 hours of one person's time just to get a bunch of good candidates in here. And then when they get in, they spend two weeks in the shop here. And typically what we do is two to four recruits at a time, apprentices, and one to two trainers. We've been liking the two trainer, four people method, something like that. And typically when you have two apprentices to one trainer, it costs you $3,200 over the course of two weeks to get that person trained up on the basics. And it gets, it gets to be a ridiculous conversation at some point when people say, oh my God, you have somebody for two weeks in your shop and you're taking one of your senior people out of the field for two weeks and, and you're paying these people and they're not producing any revenue for you. And I'll say that costs $3,200 to train somebody in a masterful way in two weeks. Are you willing to invest $3,200 in one of your people to get them trained up? So when they go out in the field, they can actually paint a wall pretty well with some guidance. They can prep cabinets, they can prep trim, they can prep walls. Uh, it's a great thing. And we would always, always invest $3,200 if we could put them through a world-class piece of training like that. So the ROI for me is there is no other way. There is no other way. If you don't do that, people are going to get scared. They're going to be underprepared. And we're giving them the introduction to the trades like, uh, like I was introduced, which is welcome to the trades. We expect you to know everything. And I'm going to yell and scream at you if you don't do it really good, really fast right away. I stuck on because I love this dearly, but I can completely understand why young, decent human beings uh, get yelled at 
don't get any training or onboarding and then they leave the trades and then tell a friend, Hey, the trades suck. <laughs> like there's, there's a whole bunch of grumpy people there and they're not willing to train us or anything. They just expect us to know everything from day one. So that's how I think about it. ROI is you have to do it or they're going to leave you <laughs> or you won't even have the chance to recruit. So that's how I, yeah, Sumter, I love, I love the idea there. Richard Heilman, fellow Minnesota painter right down the road from me, closed caption. Listen, man, this is a wild thing. This is a wild thing. Uh, all these things do this uh, uh, on its own now, and uh, I'm glad for it. So, all right, here we go. How do you budget for training, and how do you factor that into your pricing to cover those costs? You don't. Training is R&D budget. If you don't train people, you won't even have a chance at the other stuff. So this isn't an opportunity cost thing or a if we do this or do that. It is the cost of doing business. It has to be included in there. Uh, even when we train a new estimator, it's going to be somewhere between three and six weeks before they start returning on that. And for me, it's like, no, that is the thing you have to do, because if you shortcut or circumnavigate that training process, um, you will not get good results. And then those mediocre results or no results will be dragged out over a long period of time. So I would rather take a very concentrated time of, of that and just move on. But remember, Data plus feelings. The feelings is, oh my God, training sucks. It's so slow. Nobody likes doing it. We're not producing any revenue. It's a, we're going to go bankrupt doing it. Add up the payroll for training. You take one of your senior people and two junior people and for two weeks, add up that payroll cost. It's not that much money in comparison to not doing it at all and having poor results out there. So I would argue it's a, it, it's a necessity I'm like that. <laughs> All right, let's see. Janessa Amundsen, what do you do if you're in a tight space and you can't go top to bottom with a roller? Yeah, certainly. Best case scenario is you have a big open flat wall like this and you go top to bottom. But you saw it in my tight spaces here. If it's super tight, I'll just brush it. If it's not, you just do a modified roller movement like that. Um, I've been in areas where on the sides of vanities where you just brush them too. It's not a big deal. Um, master craftsperson trick is that if you can, it doesn't matter how you do it. If you can finish the entire wall and it's still wet, the chances that it's all going to dry and less stipple, less brush marks, less roller marks, even shine across the whole thing goes way up. So that's how I kind of approach that stuff there. Jesse McCandless. Chris, the Idaho painter does this too. I've tried a few times and I've never seen a meaningful difference. I don't think the average homeowner finds brush strokes nearly as offensive as we might think. Agreed. And when you actually get up to, uh, we are a residential repaint company. So we're also, we're, we're already working in houses that have had this stuff done to it. The drywall, even in super high end homes is not of that high quality. Uh, there's already brush and roller marks on the wall. If you do a lower shine paint, you'll see actually less flaws, but we also like to have a little bit of shine. So that's why we kind of default to duration mat to give people that professional shine. But if we were to do semi-gloss, all of those flaws, brush and roller marks are exacerbated and even ones that came before us. So sometimes picking the paint can also help in that sort of thing. Have you ever used microfiber roller covers for walls? Yes, I have them in my Purdy backpack. Uh, they're great. They're fine. Uh, but the standard white dove is readily available. Uh, people seem to stock more of them. I think they're a little bit less expensive, which again, isn't even a consideration for me. I don't even care about that sort of thing. If a microfiber was 10 times the cost of a white dove and produced twice the results, I would use those all the time. But honestly, the technique and the paint and the tools all kind of like come together to give you that professional result. I can't look at my process and say, it is the paint. It doesn't matter what else I use, tools, technique. It's the paint that always gives us the result. It's three things in harmony. It's tools, 
techniques and then the paint working in harmony to give you that professional result. So you can kind of change them out. Microfibers are gonna do an awesome job. We just found that white doves are readily available. We can even get them at a hardware store here. They're a pretty dealer and uh, they're relatively expensive and they never fail. So moving on, <laughs> but I do use microfibers as well too, so. Ah, in Arizona with taller walls like 10 to 20 feet and low humidity, we can't cut in and roll at the same time. Absolutely, I hear you there. I hear you there. Uh, Bruno, thank you so much. Oh, love this one. Pretty marathon versus white woven. What are your thoughts? Uh, white dove do not shed. Uh, they're a little more delicate roller cover, less stipple, uh, better for like fine finishing walls like that. Marathons, um, to me, are kind of like we have stucco walls outside. We have things like that. They tend, they're a much more stiff, rigid um, nap. So they won't pack down as much. Like if we were to take a white dove outside on historic stucco and roll, it has it will do a great job, but it has a tendency to sort of sort of mat down on itself. The the actual fibers aren't as rigid. The marathons actually have a more rigid thing. So like when we do ceilings, and it doesn't matter if you get a little fiber in there every once in a while, uh, marathons will not shed, but they have a tendency uh, to maybe leave something on the wall like that. But for a great benefit. You can do textured things like that, exterior stucco. Uh, this room is knocked down. I would use that on I would use the fattest marathon you can find and do that. You'll get more production, it'll map down less. Those are those to me are like not better or worse, just two completely different, um, two completely different uses for those things. So Chris Bross, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Eric Sowers. <laughs> All right, Lori Jost. So this is this is the most used brush in my company. This is a Purdy Pro Extra Elasco. Oh, let's flip it around here for you guys here. So this, uh, the Elasco is the name of a two and a half inch straight cut. It's got the fatter profile, the blue bristles let you know it's Pro Extra, and it's got the longer handle like this. And I do like for exterior work when you're really cranking on a brush, I like that beaver tail of like a, a three inch swan Pro Extra. So it, it, it lessens the tension on your fingers. It gives you a little fatter uh, handle to hold. But interior, I really like getting that extra couple inches here. So when you're in a stairwell, you know, you can cut like this. And a lot of times I'll, I'll to ease the pressure on my hand, I'll kind of do a modified grip like this. Pencil grip is certainly fine. But this is kind of like the go-to, eases the tension on your finger. But when you're on a ladder for those last cuts out here, you can go another six to eight inches here, another six to eight inches here, and uh, it improves your, your cutting system like that. So, all right. Oops. What type of paint are you using? Uh, Sherwin-Williams Duration Matte is our go-to interior uh, wall paint. Do, 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 do. Ah, Providence, watching from Ghana. I love that. We've been getting a lot of influence of painters from Africa uh, watching and corresponding with me, and I absolutely love it. And uh, post some pictures of your job sites. I would love to see what you guys do down there. So it's awesome here. Eric Sowers, just got some Malaysi water base to use on a cabinet job and using advanced, uh, but the local store didn't have a base for. Have you ever used that? Yep, I've used it all. Uh, it's all good stuff. The problem is supply chain. Uh, with most of that stuff for me, because we go through a ton of enamel here. So <laughs> Justin Fry, my favorite cutting brush is the Old Fields. There, yep, good thing. Jacob Andrew, Jacob Fry. Da, 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 da. Mike Danahy, good morning. Paul Rafferty, I know you like the Pro Extra brushes, the same as myself, but what is your go-to roller, White Doves? Love me the white doves. They just never fail. They're just like, you know, what, what Google is to technology and the internet, 
the Purdy White Dove is to roller covers. It's omnipresent. It never fails. You can get them anywhere. No surprises, no shedding, nothing else. They just perform every single time. All right, let's see. Da -da -da -ding. <laughs> Ronnie, honey. When you train people, done in the right way, you provide hope for those who seeks to have a chance in the trade. Agreed. And sometimes we think too much about the ROI, the return on investment, and the technical parts of painting, and we kind of um, divorce the human part of it. And you have to realize that this is a person typically who's probably not been in the trades before, and you have to make them feel comfortable in order to learn. So that warm family environment, core values, standard operating procedures, all those other things, a training process, onboarding process puts them at ease and lets them learn much better. So Lori Jost, do you have a paint you recommend for bathrooms? We use Sherwin-Williams Duration Mat on all of our walls all the time. It is a wonderful thing. It stands up to <coughs> abrasion, water, moisture, spills, washing, everything. It's just, it's wonderful. Okay, ah, Jen. What do you do when you're not painting the ceiling, just walls, and the previous painter cuts in, cut-ins are terrible? Do you take the time to hit a thin cover-up ceiling uh, band with potentially non-matching ceiling paint? So <clears throat> we give the client two options. We can repaint your ceiling and make it, and, and again, this is something that uh, um, the theory of something like this is you don't have to make that decision. As a professional, if you, if you take it upon yourself to do something, um, you own it. And you, in a professional painting company, what we do is we offer the client two options. Here's X amount of dollars. We can repaint this ceiling. It'll be beautiful. We'll actually redo your whole cut line and it'll be perfect. Option two is we take a can of Upshot. We take some uh, um, stain killing uh, thing in a rattle can and we can hit those areas for free, but guaranteed it won't match. So as a client, do you want a free option like that? That's not perfect. Or do you want the perfect option that costs money? And if they say, I don't want either, that's fine. That paint's going to stay there though. And because uh, if you go up on the ceiling uh, to get rid of that, you now own that ceiling and they will say, you made that mark. So that's how pros do it. <laughs> All right, let's see here. Do, 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 do. Uh, Sean Davis, good morning. Brian, victory. Hiring question. How do you advertise for good human beings? Say that in the ad say, I am looking for decent human beings. Just say it. Um, right now, people think about employment differently. And I would tell you, say that. And tell people that you know there's a lot of bad trades businesses and bad trades business owners out there that probably won't treat you well. Tell them that you're not one of them. But I will tell you this, even if your intentions are good, if you bring people in and you are an unprofessionalized company, which means there's no onboarding, there's no training, there's no job description, there's no pay scale, there's no employee handbook, there's no goal setting and review process like that. You're gonna scare them away, honestly. Uh, people love being involved with a real professional business and real professional businesses that have all those things, standard operating procedures, recruiting, training, employee handbook, pay scale, review process. Uh, they don't really have as much problem finding labor as everybody else. So you can you can uh, trade on the goodwill of others and this ragtag group of people who are doing good things. And Lord knows I did for a decade like that. But we've seen retention go up, happiness go up, effectiveness go up, profitability go up, the more professional we've gotten. So I would urge you to do a lot of those things before you add a bunch of people to it, because 
when you hire your first employee or your fifth or your 10th, they will find all the things, all the things wrong with your processes and systems, and you'll be forced to professionalize against your will, uh, possibly, uh, but maybe on their timeline and not yours. So I would professionalize before you start bringing people in to give them a better home uh, in order to be there. So <laughs> let's see here. Let's see what else we got here. Ronnie, got a question. Once you trim the edges, do you use a, a only brush or do you brush together with a short roller? No, we don't do that. We've never really found a, a, a benefit of doing that. I know a lot of people even watching now do that sort of thing where they take a little roller and they kind of go over that. But honestly, if you are good enough with a roller, you're going to get as close over those cuts as you will with a large roller as you will with a mini roller like that. So uh, nobody's going to take a mini roller and go right up to that ceiling line and do it. There's always going to be a little bit of brush marks in there. So that's kind of how we think about it. So, okay. All right, everybody. I think that's it here. Let's just make sure we got, thanks a lot. Oh, Lauren Fink. Thank you for watching. Big friend in the industry. All right, everybody. That's it. It's Saturday. It's beautiful here in Minnesota. I got a soccer game for Surfer Boy later today. We're cutting up trees, doing lumberjack fitness out at the farm. And uh, it is a glorious time in Minnesota. Uh, the wildlife are crazy and it's an awesome time to be out there with your kids, things like that. So again, there's links in here to all my favorite products. Thank you, Purdy, for again, for underwriting this. I do appreciate that. And everybody else here appreciates you for allowing this to be out there for free for everybody else. Um, PCA events. We are back. There's a monster one coming in Minnesota. My retreat, the Ask a Painter Live retreat is coming later in August. You can search Facebook. There's links in here for all this stuff. Get there, get involved. There's going to be tons of in-person events. Uh, and for anybody who's watching and anybody who's been to an event, we can all vouch for it. Those in-person events, it's not like social media. It's not like a phone call. It's not like an email. Magic happens in those things when knowledge is shared around other people who share your core values and your belief that the industry should be improved and professionalized. So, all right, everybody, have an awesome Saturday. Hang out with those families, and we'll see you guys next week. Paint Ed Podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and is made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPaintEd.org.